Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast. In today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the October questions and answers vlog that was recorded live. Now, I have gone through and edited this down to just the most relevant questions overall. At this point, I would like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign. If you'd like to learn more about this, you can go to patreon.com slash games, and I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel if you enjoy listening to my vlogs like this. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as comments on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. So we're going to start here with Tony Favor. He says, uh, love all the content you've produced this month. It's been a pretty crazy month. Uh, did Beyond the Sun feel as addictive to play as it was to watch? Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, so I have actually been able to play this one a couple of times with friends. Um, I was able to get access to a not public version that I could play online, which is not going to be going out there. So I don't want to get anyone's hopes up, but I'm happy that I've been able to play it. Um, and I played it twice uh, with completely different groups of players and just about everyone I've played it with uh, wants to play it again. Some of them are like cautiously interested in playing it more and I am very interested. I I've enjoyed both of my plays. I did awfully in the first game and I won pretty soundly in the second game. I did cheat a little bit on accident, which I just hate it when that happens, but I still think I would have won even without the cheat because I tried to fix it. Um, yeah, I think it's, God, I think it's a pretty cool game. I know I was uh, sponsored uh, to make that video. I was paid to make that video, but my honest opinion is so far, it's one of the more interesting games that I've played uh, recently. It's certainly my kind of weight as far as rules complexity and whatnot. So I'm very much looking forward to playing it more and I hope to get a physical copy at some point, although I don't have that yet. I did have to ship off my uh, prototype. Uh, Reishi says, did you have any special gaming plans for Essen Spiel Digital Week? Uh, no, uh, at this point I am still a bit of a, uh, virtual convention Luddite, I guess. Um, I know that it's happening now-ish. I was actually originally planning on going to Essen Spiel this year, but obviously those plans changed a while ago. Um, so I don't have any, uh, current plans, uh, for the week beyond. I have a couple videos coming out that are uh, supposed to coincide with this week, you know, as far as marketing is concerned. Um, nobody's reached out to me to do any live events or anything like that. And I haven't actively reached out to try and participate. Um, I think if people had asked, I would have uh, tried to do something. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of this has to do with trying to make yourself available instead of just waiting for people to ask. So, um, that's largely on me. It would have been fun to do something, but, um, I'm also very busy with a lot of other stuff going on. So, um, at the moment I'm just a, uh, a, uh, a backseat, uh, essence spiel digital person, just kind of seeing what's happening on Twitter. Reishi says, just for nerdy stats information, what is your most viewed video of all? Oh, that one's easy. Uh, my Gloomhaven playthrough. Um, that one is, <laughs> uh, it's it's reached the stratosphere as far as I'm concerned, as far as views are concerned. Um, it's uh, closing on 500,000 views for that single video, which is bonkers. Um, the next most viewed video is my Scythe playthrough, which I think is in the high hundred thousands, like 170,000 or something like that. Um, after that, I have nothing that's broken a hundred thousand. And on average, my videos get like three to 4,000 views. So the fact that Gloomhaven is swiftly approaching 5,000 views, 500,000 views is amazing. Um, every single 
uh, whenever I go to check my stats and I see what the most popular video was in any given week, Gloomhaven is always in the top 10, usually right near the top, um, which is just crazy. Um, I wish more of my videos would <laughs> do that. I think it just um, found its way into a recommendation suggestion thermal that just um, sent it really high up. So um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. I was kind of hoping that Frosthaven uh, would, would do something similar because I think that's a much higher quality video because I made that Gloomhaven video a long time ago and I, I feel like my stuff is a lot better now, but that hasn't quite happened yet. And I'm still happy with the Gloomhaven video overall. So uh, the question is, did you ever get to play Terramara again? Is your opinion still the same? And the opinion you are, um, are thinking is that I really liked it and wanted to play it again. Uh, so yes, I played Terramara. Actually, my prototype copy that I have that I used to film the tutorial, um, I've played that copy, I think three times, definitely two, but I think three times um, since then. And that's because I did like it and I did want to play it again. And subsequently, I am now to the point where I'm kind of over the game. Um, I really like a lot of the ideas in Terramara. Um, I'm not going to go into all the nitty gritty, but it's a worker placement game where you can send your workers into the future. So, um, you know, not thematically, you're not um, uh, traveling in time. You're like sending them out into the wasteland and they'll come back in a couple of rounds. Um, so that was really cool. But Realistically, this game had an astonishing amount of analysis paralysis. I had four-player games go three and a half hours or so, and I don't know, just something about it. It just seemed like it was too crunchy into the nitty-gritty of all of the resources that you're trying to convert for the amount of fun that you actually get out of it. Um, so I still, I wish I liked it a lot more. Like, I think it's an intriguing game, um, but... At the end of the day, it feeds way too much into everyone's analysis paralysis to the point where people who don't normally have AP in games have uh, struggled with this game when uh, playing it with me. So uh, unfortunately, my opinion has soured. I don't think it's bad, but I am very fine with not playing it again. I think I've played it four-ish times total now. I played it once online, and uh, and unfortunately, I think I'm, I'm done with it. Also, it's kind of a brutal teach. There's a lot to go over. Like everything is relatively simple, but there's a lot of relatively simple things to say. Um, and I still haven't figured out how to teach that game in under like 50 minutes. And I'm kind of over teaching it as well. <laughs> so Nick asks, have you ever played the card game, The Crew? Yes. Yeah, I played The Crew a bunch. Um, I actually got to play that one at uh, BGGCon last year. Uh, that was taught to me by uh, my friend T. And we really enjoyed it. And then I got a copy of it. And I haven't actually played my physical copy. They sent me a press copy, but COVID happened. Um, but there is a really good version of it on Tabletop Simulator. And I have probably played like 30 to 40 games of it on Tabletop Simulator. Every game takes like five to 10 minutes. So that's not saying a lot, but um, there's a while where that was like our go-to thing when we were waiting for somebody else to show up or we finished a game. We're like, let's just play the crew a bit. Um, so I'm a pretty big fan. I think the crew is excellent. Um, at some point I will play my actual physical copy. I'm glad to have a physical copy because, uh, it's a really neat, fully cooperative trick-taking game. And normally I'm not crazy about trick-taking, but, um, the puzzle that this one brings in is, is quite, uh, quite intriguing. Uh, Reishi says, I didn't watch the Dinosaur World live uh, playthrough that you did. What was your impressions of it comparing it to Dinosaur Island? Uh, yeah, so the uh, the context for this is uh, Pandasaurus Games reached out to me about a month and a half ago, uh, and they just asked if I wanted to be a participant in a live playthrough of uh, Dinosaur World, it kind of coinciding with their marketing push for the Dinosaur World uh, Kickstarter campaign. Um, I said, sure, because, well... It's just nice to network. It's nice to try new things. I've got a nice uh, live setup now. So I did that and uh, I'm really glad I did. It was fun. I got to uh, make a couple of new friends and I got to play the game. They, they taught the game and we played 
two-fifths of the game overall. And so my impression of Dinosaur World at this point is pretty high. So this is a... It's kind of a worker placement game, but realistically, the, the bones of this game mechanically are every single round, you're going to be drafting a card which gives you nine different workers and a variety of different colors. And then through the rest of each of the five rounds in the game, you're going to be essentially selecting actions with those workers, and the vast majority of those actions are on your own personal board, so there's no interaction with your opponents. Now, there are some actions in the middle, uh, but it's not like regular worker placement where you go onto a spot and no one else can go there. Instead, you activate a spot in the middle of the board to take something from a public market, and then you pay the workers for it, and then the market shifts down a little bit. So the um, primary way that you are interacting with your opponents is by potentially taking away those hexes. Um, then you just have this awesome puzzle with all of these different action spots that can take different color workers that might give you a bonus. If you use a green worker here, you get a bonus. If you don't, then you don't get the bonus. And then there's, there's specialized spots that only take specific color workers. And I really enjoyed that puzzle of just like figuring out what I was going to do with all my stuff. It kind of reminded me of Paladins of the West Kingdom, but quicker because you do so much of the crunching simultaneously uh, instead of like doing an action, then they do an action, then they do an action. Um, technically, there's a little bit of that in Dinosaur World, but for the most part, it seems like you're kind of just running your own thing. Um, from my memory of Dinosaur Island, it's kind of similar in that way, but there was like more steps each round and more time for it to go action ar uh, around the table one turn at a time. So I think Dinosaur World is more my style of game. Uh, I thought Dinosaur Island was fine, but I'm quite interested in playing Dinosaur World again. I think it really focuses on the, the puzzle of the uh, worker use uh, and the park uh, building out, which I really enjoyed. Uh, that seems to be much more interesting in Dinosaur World. I don't want to go into too many more specifics, but um, I liked it. I liked it, and I'm hoping for, uh, looking forward to uh, maybe being able to try an entire game of it. Uh, all right. Dadao says, Do you have any preconceptions about board games that are based on video games, considering we are seeing more and more of them being announced? Um, I guess my preconception of it is, why not? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of video games being made, and as long as a board game doesn't try to exactly copy the video game, I think it's fine. Um, there's a lot of mechanics that really only work in a digital space, and there's mechanics that work better in an analog space overall. So, you know, if you're trying to uh, remake uh, StarCraft, for example, and you're trying to have all these, you know, real-time elements and making all these units and smashing them together, well, that seems like a bad idea. But the StarCraft board game, which is very old, I don't know why I use this as an example, um, it kind of abstracted a lot of those things, and it felt like it was kind of in the universe, but its own sort of thing. And I think that's the best way to do it. Um, but if I'm being honest, I barely play any video games at all. So I don't really have a lot of context for how close these things are. But but yeah, ultimately, I feel like, why not? There's a bunch of art assets. There's a an established fan base. Um, give it a shot. Make a board game version of every video game, for as far as I'm concerned. You know, Garrett says, I've never played Catan, but have Concordia and others. Should I pick it up? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, so I have uh, played Catan I don't know, tens and tens of times. I, I think it's a wonderful game. Uh, I actually just had a conversation last week with some friends about potentially getting it out again because we haven't played in so long. I think it's fun. Um, I think that it's got great trading mechanics uh, to the point where I'm hard-pressed to find a game that really feels better at trading. I'm sure it exists, but as far as a rules complexity level, it's a relatively simple game. 
the amount of fun that you can have trying to figure out what you can give and what you can take from different people, that's really where the game is. You know, people say, oh, it's a dice game, it's full of luck. And there is luck uh, for sure, but you can mitigate that and you can also have really smart trading plays. So if you enjoy negotiating with people and making trades, then I still recommend Catan. I'm, honestly, I'm looking forward to playing it again. I, like I said, I was literally just talking to friends about uh, getting this one out because it's been like five years since I played and uh, it's a classic. So I want to play it again. You should give it a shot too. Okay, uh, Bartolis asks, if you go back to your games you've played like a year ago, do you have trouble remembering the rules for them? Um, on average, yes and no. It, it, it's hard to be uh, explicit about this. Um, in general, the farther back a game goes, the less likely I am to, re to remember all of the rules. If it's been a year, I'm definitely gonna have to look back at the rule book. But what I found is, I can usually like skim a rule book that I haven't seen in a year or so and be like, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. It's all kind of coming back together. Uh, the memory kind of re-emerges from the back of my head. Um, so yeah, I don't have an encyclopedic memory of all the nitty gritty of every single rule uh, game that I've played, but but I can definitely uh, bring those things back out uh, with relative ease. Uh, I played uh, Indigo um, a few weeks ago, a month ago or so, and I hadn't played it in like eight years. And I sat down and I was like, I don't remember anything about this game. And 40 seconds later, after skimming the rule book, I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember how this game works. So it, it's just a, a nice way to kind of get the stuff back to the front of my brain. It's very likely that I'm going to make a mistake or two when I just skim and say that I remember everything. But, you know, I guess that's the mistake you make with games. And uh, it's always a, a push and pull. Do you want to spend 40 minutes going through every single word in a rulebook again? Or do you want to just be like, yeah, I think we got it and just roll with it and have fun. That's usually the, the way that I actually go. Uh, Quinn asks, how many games do you have in your private collection? Well, I can give you a rough idea about that. What does the Internet say? All right, looking at Board Game Geek, it says right now I have uh, 279 games, although I think that's an overstatement. I think it's probably uh, more like 250. I need to go through and clean some of this up, but uh, that's that's about what I have. Nick says, have you started school yet? Are you still pursuing it? How is it going so far? Uh, yes, uh, so I did start taking a class. Um, I did that a few months ago. It was a two-month class, eight weeks overall, and I finished it. Um, it went well. I passed the class. Uh, I learned a lot about project management. That was the, uh, it was kind of an introductory course for project management. And um, I did a lot of soul searching over those couple months. And right now where I'm at, I am not in another class, and I'm not sure if I'm going to take another class. Um, the main goal of taking that class was to figure out if this is something I wanted to do more, and I'm not sure. It didn't necessarily bowl me over with like, yes, this is something that you should do. Um, and if I'm being honest, right now, I'm pretty high on Jungus Games. Uh, I think that that's probably for a wide variety of reasons, but I'm actually like enjoying doing this work for myself, which it was not the case a couple months ago. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so for right now, I've, I've kind of uh, backburned the idea of uh, continuing to do school and to continue to do a, a large career changeover. I might do it. That still certainly might happen. But for the moment, I'm so busy with Jongit's games and I am enjoying it so much that I'm just really focusing on it and uh, it's going well. Uh, because of that, I'm I'm getting a lot of content out. I'm like a couple of weeks ahead right now, which is probably also one of the reasons I'm doing well because I'm really busy, but I'm also not stressed. So that's a good combination. Um, Eastlin asks, uh, would you agree that dice is a bad idea, is not exactly correct, and that there are many bad games that use shuffled decks rather than dice and are bad, so perhaps dice are not always bad. Um, so I think what you're saying is, would I agree that 
dice are not always a bad thing. Uh, you know, randomness of dice and randomness of a shuffle deck um, can certainly be analogous. Um, yes, I, I think I can agree with uh, the question, the statement that I think you're making. Um, I actually love dice in games, uh, but I dislike it when you have dice in games and there are just strictly good results and strictly bad results. I'm, I'm an input randomness kind of person. I like to roll dice and then make decisions. Uh, so that might be rolling communal dice and then drafting from them or rolling your own dice and then figuring out what you're going to do based off of that instead of saying, I want to do X, roll the dice to see if I am successful. In general, I dislike seeing that in games. And, you know, you can certainly have a similar situation with uh, a deck of cards. I mean, look at Gloomhaven. <laughs> it has a shuffled up um, uh, uh, modifier deck and you literally try to do a thing and you draw a card to see if you're successful. Uh, and you're usually successful in that game. But uh, so I guess it's not a strict thing that it's always bad to have that because I think Gloomhaven is a wonderful game. But in general, I prefer the input randomness of it. And, and I agree. I mean, you know, a deck of cards versus uh, rolling dice they are random, but there's a, a difference to it. I know some people actually play Catan with a uh, roll deck, uh, which has an even distribution of the um, the results that you would get from dice, and you go through that deck. So um, it matches the correct probability instead of having crazy streaks where you roll like, you know, three 11s in a row or something like that. Um, that's not going to happen with a deck. And I know some people prefer that, but personally, I prefer the dice. So I'm okay with a little bit of a craziness happening with uh, randomness in games. Um, I definitely don't get down on it like a lot of other people do. Garrett says, do you have a family? What does your significant other do? Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, myself, my wife, and my dog, I guess. That's our uh, immediate nuclear family. Um, my wife is a, uh, well, not to go into too many specifics, but she's a um, analyst. She does, uh, uh, <laughs> Honestly, I'm really terrible at these kind of things. Uh, she helps uh, custom software be written for universities. Uh, she doesn't actually do the coding right now, but she certainly could. That's in her skill set. Um, so she talks to people and makes sure that the things that they need are made in a correct way to make uh, modified specialized things for uh, university infrastructure. Um, so yeah, <laughs> she works in the room right next to me. We share a wall. In fact, we're kind of looking at each other, even though there's a wall in between us. Uh, so we spend a lot of time in close proximity, usually with the doors open. So I can kind of hear the meetings and stuff that she's on. But um, uh, yeah, that's the world that uh, she inhabits uh, professionally. Uh, Mirren asks, uh, what is your latest Kickstarter back game? I like your new format of playthroughs. Glad to see you have more time to do more new games and that you have time uh, for yourself. Uh, hi from Serbia. Hi, Mirren. Thanks for joining in. Um, so normally I say things like, oh, I don't really back Kickstarters anymore. Uh, it's been a really long time, but actually I have backed two games in the last week. Uh, I, I usually back like four, three or four games total a year now, but um, in the last week I backed uh, Agropolis, I think was what it was called. It's like a, a sequel to Sprawlopolis. Um, no pun included, put out a uh, video and a podcast uh, singing Sprawlopolis's praises. Uh, made it sound like a really cool micro game, 18 cards, cooperative city building. And it was like 10 or $15 shipped, I think, for the Kickstarter. So I decided to support that. And I also decided to support the Crash Octopus campaign uh, because it's just so cute and strange and peculiar. Like I, I very rarely buy games anymore. Um, certainly nothing like I used to do. And specifically with Kickstarter, usually I will pull the trigger on a Kickstarter game because it seems to be significantly different from other things. And uh, this is a dexterity game with a large wooden octopus that's trying to eat different ships and you're moving your ships and stuff around by flicking them with flags. It just looks adorable. 
almost like an art piece. Like, you know, there are certain games that I like to keep around just because they're peculiar and strange. Uh, Lift It is one where you put a headband on with a plastic crane and a hook, and you try to pick things up with your head. Um, I'm never getting rid of that game, even though I haven't played it in a really long time. And Crash Octopus just looked like one of those games that I would play a few times and really enjoy and perhaps enjoy playing with um, younger uh, nieces and nephews and that kind of thing as well in the future. Um, honestly, it's a bit of a curiosity, and I, I couldn't quite help myself. It, it just seemed a little bit too peculiar, and I had to, to bite the bullet on that one. Reishi asks, how's the dog doing? Still cute and fluffy. Yes, uh, she's doing great. Uh, right now, she's actually at uh, doggy daycare. They have a webcam, which lets us see how they're doing. So it's really hard for my wife and I to do work sometimes when we just want to like watch our dog playing with other dogs on the webcam at the doggy daycare. So she's there right now. And yes, she's still adorable and fluffy. A little less fluffy. We got her groomed last week, um, but she's still super cute. Raymond says, are you... Question, about your collection, do you consider yourself a collector or do you aim to play your games on a somewhat regular basis? Perhaps it depends on the game. Um, I try to not be a collector. Uh, if I was a collector, um, I could have, I believe, over a thousand games at this point. I, I've sold a lot of games over the years. Uh, I've sold a lot of good games over the years. Um, I don't have a huge house. And honestly, with the collection size that I have already, I could sometimes forget games that I have. Like, it's just one big Calyx shelf. And sometimes I'm like, where is that game? Like, I have a really hard time finding uh, specific games in it. So I feel like, you know, having like 250 plus games, you can have a really great collection with that. So to a certain extent, I feel like I'm trying to be a collector of a very, um, a very high quality collection, but I don't want to just have every game ever and just have a huge library wrapping around the entire room. Like part of me th feels like that would be cool, but most of me feels like it would just be impossible to find the games that I was trying to play at any one given time. Uh, so yeah, I try to get rid of games that I think I will never play anymore. I certainly have games that I haven't played in five, even 10 years, uh, but that I feel like I would want to play again, like actively want to play again at some point. I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, so usually the threshold for removing from my collection is just, am I okay never playing this game again? And um, so far, I've been able to keep the collection down, although I feel like it's harder and harder every month <laughs> to remove games from it. Board Game Dungeon asks, what did you think of Cloudspire? Well, the short answer for this question is, I've never technically played it, really, with anybody else. Um, I've, I have I opened that game up, I alerted, it, I did the full playthrough for the, the sponsored video, uh, so technically I played through a full game because I was playing against myself, but I never played it with anybody else. Um, I'm not super enamored with the game. Uh, I don't think I am particularly tempted to play it with somebody else, uh, partially because it's got a huge rules overhead, like definitely a lot of rules to get through. Um, I'm also honestly not a huge fan of how much of the game is kind of um, uh, automated. You know, most of the units in that game have a predefined set of rules. They just kind of do their thing. So it feels like a lot of it is kind of procedural. Um, honestly, that felt like a game that was trying to be too much like a video game uh, and maybe could have abstracted things a little bit more to have less busy work going on and just an extreme amount of asymmetry and special rules and special conditions and everything like that. Um, I feel like the game is potentially fun to play with other people, but I will likely never find out because to me, I don't think it's really worth the uh, the barrier to entry to like, once again, I mean, honestly, at this point, I have to, I'd have to reread the whole rule book, or I guess I'd watch my video to relearn it. Um, and I guess I could tell another person to watch my video before we played together, but I don't know. There's just so many other games I'd rather play. That that one didn't really uh, stick out to me as one that um, I'm interested in. I think it's a somewhat polarizing game, and I'm on the side that's not particularly interested in it. Um, Andre 
Santos uh, sent in a super chat. So thank you so much uh, for the donation. I really appreciate that. Um, Andre asks, uh, what you think about Portuguese board game design scene? Uh, you could try the brand new Rossio. Greetings from Portugal. I love your channel. Um, I am quite intrigued by a lot of the Portuguese designs that I'm seeing come out. I mean, obviously, uh, Vitala Serta is, I think, one of, like, the most famous Portuguese designer. Um, there are uh, also Nuno uh, Sintiero, I think, and Paulo... Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm not great with these names, but there are a few uh, Portuguese designers um, who have made some really great, uh, interesting Euros. It does seem like the Portuguese design scene, at least the design scene that I see, is very medium to heavyweight Euro-oriented, and so... I enjoy that kind of stuff. Oftentimes, it seems like some of these Portuguese designs are more complex than is my preference, like more rules and whatnot. Um, like I've respected essentially every Lacerda game that I've played, but many of them have a little bit more going on than I want. That being said, I really did enjoy On Mars, and I think the Gallerist is great. Um, Rossio sounds familiar, so I'm going to search for it real quick. Ooh, it looks like you're making like uh, tile uh, masonry, like building out stonemasons and stuff like that. Um, yeah, this game looks neat. Uh, modular board, pattern building, 30 to 45 minutes, so not actually that long. Um, yeah, it's a Pythagoras game. Uh, that's the, the the publishing house. A lot of the Pythagoras games have looked quite interesting to me. I don't think I've actually played any of them. Uh, so I guess my overall vibe on the Portuguese design scene is it seems like they're making some really interesting euro stuff, and I, I'm quite interested in trying essentially everything that comes out from that design scene, even though sometimes it's a little bit more um, heavy than I'm, I'm personally looking for. Uh, Ajin asks, what is the oldest game that I own? Uh, well, let's once again look to the internet. Uh, is this going to be able to tell me? Now, it looks like BoardGameGeek isn't, let isn't letting me put it in there. Uh, so I'm just going to have to guess. Um, I think the oldest game that I likely have is... Um, Maybe Six Nymphed, uh, maybe Catan. Catan was like 92. I think Tichu was like 1991 or 92. Um, oh no, I take it back. This is actually relatively easy. Um, Can't Stop. That one came out in the 70s. I own that. That one's very old. And technically, the oldest game I have is one called Formula One. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> it was given to me by my grandmother. I played it with her when I was a child. Um, and that one's from like the 60s, I think. Um, it's a it's a really not a good game about racing around a track, but I think the oldest good game that I have is Can't Stop, uh, which uh, came out in the 70s, and I think my copy is from the 70s. The the box is super faded overall, but uh, that is an excellent, very old game. Uh, Elise asks, what are some of the new Essen releases that you are looking forward to? Um, well, uh, Praga Kaput Regni, which is the new Vladimir Suchi game, I'm quite interested, quite intrigued by that one. Uh, which is a, looks like a, a heavyweight uh, Euro game um, with, honestly, I don't know a whole lot about it. It just looks like it's got a bunch of cool euro stuff going on. And I've enjoyed Vladimir Suchi's other games like Underwater Cities and the Prodigals Club uh, so much. So that one is certainly one uh, I'm quite interested in. Uh, honestly, I, I have my pulse a little bit less on the Essen releases this year because it's a weird year. <laughs> Normally I would have gone through the entire Essen uh, catalog and like figured things out and reached out to publishers, but I didn't obviously do any of that this year because I didn't actually go uh, to the convention. Um, so honestly, that, that's the only one that's really jumping to my mind. I'm sure there's like 10 or 20 others that I'm actually interested in, but it can be really hard to pull these things to the front of my mind on the fly. And I don't want to spend a bunch of time Googling things uh, while I'm in the middle of this. Uh, all right. So, so sorry, I don't have a a better, more well-rounded uh, answer for you there, Elise. Uh, maybe I should have done a little bit of research considering it's Essen week. I should have seen that question coming. What is your favorite game 
to play with your wife. Uh, well, if I'm being honest, my wife and I don't actually play board games together all that much. We do a lot of other things. Um, we play board games sometimes. We, we generally prefer to play games with more than just two players, which is very difficult to do um, in uh, 2020. Um, but I think probably just thinking back, um, we've really enjoyed playing the Pandemic Legacies together. We played Legacy Season 1, just the two of us, and we played Season 2 with um, another two friends. So we played that one four-player. Um, we both really enjoyed both of those and playing those together. Uh, we also both really enjoy Lorenzo Il Magnifico. That's a game that Jessica and I have played many times together. Um, we've played two-player, and we've also played with uh, others. Um, another one that uh, when the, just the two of us play gets uh, recommended a lot, specifically by my wife, is... Uh, um, uh, Kashgar. Uh, we really enjoy that one at two players. And Passing Through Petra is also a really good game at two players. It's like 30 minutes, but it's got so many great decisions when you only play it at two players. Uh, so yeah, that's like uh, a shooting from the hip answer uh, for that. Uh, Howard says, during the lockdown, I've steered towards different hobbies such as simulated racing. Have you found yourself having more time for different hobbies? Uh, not really overall. I mean, I guess the, the closest thing to a new hobby that I've uh, had in 2020 is making mods for Tabletop Simulator. I've really enjoyed that process. Um, you know, I get a bunch of new games and I want to play them with people, but because of the pandemic, I can't. So I, you know, scan everything into my computer and then I, you know, cut it all up in Photoshop and then I put it into Tabletop Simulator. And I really like laying everything out and getting everything all pretty so that I can play it with friends. Um, so I guess like making mods is kind of a, a new hobby of mine. I haven't gone crazy with scripting or anything like that, but um, that's the closest thing. Like I, I spent uh, like three or four hours, three hours, yeah, maybe four hours yesterday making a new mod for Castles of Tuscany uh, because I bought that one from Amazon.de and it finally ordered, uh, finally arrived, and I want to play it with people. So I did before I even punched it, I scanned all of the uh, the punch outs, um, you know, before I pulled anything out, and then I spent a few hours cutting it up so that I can now play it with my friends. Um, I don't put these out as public mods because I feel weird about it. You know, I bought these games and I don't want to put it out there where other people can play it who hasn't bought it yet. I don't have publisher permission, so I usually just play these with other people. So I'm not going to be making a public Castles of Tuscany mod, but um, I really enjoyed making that mod yesterday, and I'm also really looking forward to playing it with other people. So that's probably the closest thing. Um, that and I guess just watching a lot more TV than I used to. I've watched a lot of TV in 2020 because of this strange year, and there's a lot of good TV coming out. Uh, Reishi asks, are you planning on doing any top 10s in the future? Um, Nothing specifically planned. I can say that there are a few top 10 uh, options that have been uh, thrown out uh, from the contributing producer level supporters of the Patreon campaign. Um, and so those might be making it onto some uh, polls at some point soon. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that's all going to shake out, but it's possible um, that there could be uh, some. I know one of them was like top 10 Desert Island games. Another one was top 10 uh, surprises like, you know, you liked it more than you thought, or you disliked it more than you expected to. Um, so it's possible that uh, one or two of those might be happening at some point soon, but I, I can't really commit to it right now. As you've probably seen, I don't do a lot of top tens. It's not my favorite kind of content to watch, which means it's not something I usually gravitate towards making that much. But considering I make them so rarely, I don't mind making them when I make them, if that makes sense. Uh, Hung says, what about Crokinole for the oldest game? I think it was invented in the 1800s, or did you sell that board? You know what, Hung, you're right. <laughs> Crokinole is definitely the oldest designed game that I own. I, I still have that board. I bought a fancy uh, custom Helinski board 
like seven years ago or so. Um, it's been a couple years since I played Crokinole, but yeah, that game is, like you said, like 150 years old. Um, I think the oldest box that I have is that Formula One game because that was that that actual box that I have was manufactured in the 60s. Um, but yeah, as far as design is concerned, Crokinole uh, is certainly going to win that one. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, technically we have, I think, a Moncala set. So Moncala is, is, I think, way older <laughs> than that. Moncala might actually be the oldest game that we technically own from a design perspective. Uh, Matthew asks, which expansion do you think changes the base game experience the most in a good way? Uh, ooh, I have a really easy answer for that one. Uh, I'd say Concordia Venus. Um, ooh, or maybe the Norwegian's expansion for A Feast for Odin. Both of those are good answers, but I think Concordia Venus is bigger. Uh, so I love Concordia. I think it's an excellent game. And Concordia Venus was like the third or fourth expansion for the game. And it essentially brought in team-based play. So you just play as a team two versus two or two versus two versus two. And it brought in a couple new cards that kind of mix the gameplay up a little bit so you can like play a card from your opponent's hand, uh, from your partner's hand and that kind of thing. Uh, but that just flipped the game over and made it so much better. Uh, I love Concordia, but I love, love, love Concordia Venus. And it definitely, it kind of like revealed an amazing new experience with all of the same core concepts underneath. Um, so as far as like um, uh, changing the gaming experience the most, I, I think that simple thing of just adding partnership in to an excellent Euro game uh, really just elevated the experience. I will say when you play with the partnerships, it's a much longer game like significantly longer. Uh, base Concordia, five players, in my experience, takes about 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Four-player game of Concordia Venus is more like two hours. The six-player games of Concordia Venus that I played have been like three to three and a half hours. But it's a wonderful three to three and a half hours that I love, so not complaining there. Um, uh, like I said, Norwegian's expansion for A Feast for Odin is also a significant expansion, um, but that one didn't really change the overall feel of the game. It just balance the game. It was like a big balance patch that just kind of fixed all of the little problems that the game had and made it just a brilliant, shining, amazing game overall. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think those are those are good answers, but Venus is certainly the, uh, the one that I would go with. Uh, Agent says, what do you enjoy more, games with a story or games where you need the highest score? Um, hmm. In general, I'm not, I don't care too much about the story in games as I think the answer for you. I, I prefer hunting high scores and um, efficient, being efficient with my plays. Um, although I'm not <laughs> the best player uh, when it comes to efficiency. Usually, actually, I'm an explorer of mechanics when I play games. Um, I don't see everything and be like, oh, I'm going to do this, into this, into this. That's going to get me the most points. Usually I'm like, I'm going to do this to see what happens. And I'm going to do that to see how that interacts with this over here. And then that means usually when I come near the end, especially of the first time I play most games, I don't do very well because I'm just like poking different buttons. I'm like, ooh, I haven't tried that button yet. And I poke it even though it might not actually be great for me. Um, but that's just because I am a huge board game mechanics nerd and I, I like to see how this stuff works. Uh, so I guess my answer would be the third, <laughs> a third uh, thing that you didn't even mention. Um, I enjoy most about exploring the mechanics of a game versus the story that it's trying to tell and versus having the highest score overall. Although I, I do try to win. I do like winning. Uh, all right. Uh, Rajbir asks, Hey John, love your channel. Where do Uwe Rosenberg games generally rank for you? And what are your thoughts on Halerto uh, or Haler 2? Um, well, uh, to answer the first question, I quite enjoy Uwe games. Um, so A Feast for Odin with the Norwegian's expansion is arguably my favorite game right now. And he designed that game. So obviously that's high praise for him. Uh, I have enjoyed uh, many of his other games. Um, I wouldn't say he's like 
my number one designer overall, uh, but I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff he makes. I like a lot of his lighter stuff, honestly, like uh, Nova Luna and uh, Patchwork, which share some DNA across them. Um, and uh, I like things like uh, Cave versus Cave, Caverna Cave versus Cave. I've played Caverna and I've played Orgicola and I thought they were fine. I played Lahav and I thought it was fine. Uh, so in general, I'm not like a huge Uve fan, but um, I will say that I am quite excited about Halerto. Uh, that is another one that would have been on the list if I had prepared and made a list for like, what am I excited about from Essen? Um, Halerto would have been one of them. Um, it just... I don't know the mechanics. I know the rule books out there. I haven't spent the time to read it yet, but it just looks like a fun medium to heavyweight Euro. Uh, you're, um, I think, growing hops for beer and you're doing a bunch of Euro-y things. Um, it's possible that it'll be great. It's also possible that it'll be more of a shrug for me, like Lahav and um, Caverna was. Um, I won't know until I actually look into it. So I'm really looking forward to uh, people making content for that one. As soon as I see a video pop up onto my YouTube subscription list, I'm going to be all over watching uh, the next Hilarto uh, or the first Hilarto video that I see. Uh, TC says, I recently came across your live play for Dinosaur World. Uh, how did you like the game? Any plans to participate in more live plays in the future? Uh, I talked about this one a little bit earlier on in the uh, in this uh, vlog. Uh, the short answer is I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it more than my memories of playing Dinosaur Island. Um, I thought it had some really great decisions, and I liked how much of the game is crunchy, thinky, simultaneous uh, play. Uh, there's a lot to think about, but you can be thinking about it at the same time as other people. There's a lot of planning, but most of the planning that you do cannot be messed up by your opponents. So I really enjoyed all that. Um, as far as any plans to participate in more live plays, um, no specific plans have been made, but I would definitely do it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, one thing I have not been able to do this year is obviously go to any board game conventions in real life. And um, I... I get a lot of networking done at these conventions. That's a big reason why I like to go to these because professionally it's good to network with people and get to know people who I might have a professional relationship with, but I also love board games and I love talking about board games. So it's just a great environment to talk to people about board games. Well, in 2020, I'm not going to these conventions and I've definitely felt a little bit isolated from the overall board game sphere. Uh, so doing live plays like this is definitely a way to feel more attached to things. Um, I probably should have reached out to some people to like try and participate in some things for Essen uh, and other uh, digital conventions, but I didn't. Um, you might not think it. I'm not an introvert per se, but I, I definitely don't put myself out there as much as I should. Like when I'm in social situations, I'm quite extroverted, but um, I, I oftentimes let life kind of happen to me. And when it comes to like playing online with other people and participating in live panels and all that kind of stuff, I, I haven't tried to make anything happen. And because of that, nothing has really happened. And that's honestly on me overall. Uh, Nick says, I own Simon Games. Honestly, because I love painting cool miniatures, but I found I actually love to play Blood Rage and Rising Sun. Do you have a favorite Simon game or are they typically not your style? I'd say they're typically not my style. Um, it's possible I don't own any at this moment. Nothing's really coming to mind. Uh, I have owned a lot of Simon games. Um, I owned the original Zombicide. I owned uh, Chaos in the Old World, the original copy back when it came out. And I played that one a lot. I played that like 15 times. I really like that game. Not really my style anymore, but it was my style back in 2010. Um, I've never played Blood Rage. I've never played Rising Sun. Yeah, in general, I don't paint things. So that's not an allure for me. And Simon uh, games, they just don't really pull me in that much. Um, I do own the Grizzled. Technically, that is a Simon game, so I think that's the closest. But um, yeah, they're not really 
my style. They're very theme over mechanics in general, and I, I care much more about mechanics, and I don't generally care about theme in games. I'm not against trying their games. It's just not something I really go out for, and most of my friends that I play games with also seem to be in the same boat. Uh, let's see here. Yep, I think that's all of the questions. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you for coming. Uh, thanks for asking all of these questions. And I will likely be doing another one of these in just a few weeks. Um, this one was recorded later on in October than normal. The next one will probably happen in early-ish November. Uh, so keep your eyes out for the date when I post that one. Uh, it'll go alongside my update vlog that'll be going out. And I'll probably tweet about it as well. Uh, so yeah, um, have a good night, everybody, or a good day, <laughs> depending on where you are. And uh, I'll see you on the next one.